Hit the lights. You've discovered the Half Watt Podcast. We want to educate and entertain by tapping into the most trusted source of new technology, the ones installing and innovating it. You, the tradespeople that build from the ground up. Join us as we talk with industry leaders, veteran contractors, and even some young blood. Welcome aboard, half waters, full waters, electricians of all makes and models. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. Um, today's podcast is going to be called Don't Step in the Leadership. Now, that is taken uh, off of a Scott Adams Dilbert um, cartoon. I don't think I made that up. Uh, but I'll give credit where credit is due. Uh, one of the funniest cartoons I think I've ever read was Dilbert, and uh, still think it's uh, it's out of this world to read. So the the discussion tonight is about leadership. What is leadership, and how do you define leadership, and how do you do leadership? How do you lead people, and and what does that mean to you? And I'm going to give you a couple of perspectives. Now, I'm a historical guy, so I like history, and I like uh, World War II in particular. So let me just pull out some names from World War II, and let's look at whether they were or were not leaders. So let's take a look at FDR, okay, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I'd say he was a, uh, was a pretty powerful leader. Uh, not everybody agreed with him. And, 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 and just because you are leadership material doesn't mean that everybody agrees with you. It means that you're a leader. But are you a good leader or a bad leader? Because if FDR was a good leader, would we say that Hitler was a good leader? Or would we say that Stalin was a good leader? So it depends on your perspective. Uh, the uh, some of the other big folks in World War II, Eisenhower, uh, Patton, MacArthur, uh, Chester Nimitz, these were all folks who led in one capacity or another. And history either said these people were great or these people were terrible. Right now, individually, if you look at how they led and what they did, how they affected and influenced people around them, that is critical because each and every leader, whether it's Mao or whether it's Ronald Reagan, each leader brings to the table something that we can learn from and something that we can pick up, okay? And, and because history is, is full of famous people, the idea is that only famous people made good leaders. And that is not true. It's just not true at all. The best leaders you probably never heard of. Uh, they just don't, are not well known, right? So part of, uh, of leadership from my perspective is, is looking at the qualities that someone has to convey information and to get people on board with what they have to do or what they have to say or what the work is about. Um, and, and it's not done at the point of a gun, okay? It's done because uh, you've instilled in that person what it takes to get it right. That's leadership to me. Now, in business, leadership can be looked at a total different way. Leadership may be, hey, uh, I led this company and my statistics show that, that, that the money comes and, and you know my, my, my employees are out there and they're... they're they're making us money and we're buying new equipment and we're buying new buildings and we're advancing and the, the company's getting bigger and all the metrics show that 
that uh, blah, 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 blah. That is one style of leadership, and I'm not saying it's bad or good. I'm just saying that it's there. But how does that affect you if you're an electrician or you're a technician you know, working for a security company and the focus is on uh, stuff that's external to you? If you're a, a cog in the machine, and everybody's talking about how great the overall machine is, you may want to know that you're contributing your portion to that and that the, the small piece that you are, the small cog that you are in the machine, is just as critical as every other piece of the machine. So leadership reaches down to where people need it and lifts them up and gives them perspective. So in other words, if I'm, a, if I'm a great leader of a company or I'm a great leader of a country, I may accomplish lots of things, okay? But if I'm leaving people behind or if I'm not, if I'm not lifting everybody up so that they're all participating in this and they're all a part of this, and then I've done nothing. And then that's not leadership in my book, okay? Now, that, this is a perspective from my perspective. Doesn't necessarily mean it's yours. When I was in the military, uh, I, I left one ship uh, and extended and um, basically made E4, uh, but I, I, there were six different increments in the military, in the Navy that you could make uh, rank in, and, and I did not qualify to make one of the higher increments, so I think I was increment five, which meant that I was going to wear the rank, but I wasn't going to get paid for it for months. Um, so they, they call it, uh, you know, you, you're, you're a frocked uh, E4, but you're not really getting paid for it yet. So you're kind of a, yes, you have the rank, but you don't really have the, I don't know, the money yet. Uh, it de definitely encouraged me when I went for E5 and E6 to not, like not test out at the fifth increment, but to make sure I was hitting the first or second increment, and I did. I made first increment on both E5 and E6, which meant that as soon as I got the crow, I was getting paid for it. Uh, long story short, I, I went to school and I uh, came from one class of ship that was uh, an amphibious ship, which doesn't really deal a lot with uh, the kind of warfare that I liked, uh, and I went to a cruiser. and. Uh, which did exactly what I liked, which was a real fighting machine. And that's where I had always wanted to be. I wanted to be on a destroyer or a cruiser, uh, you know, part of, 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 the, of the crew and of the esprit de corps that goes with being on a tin can or being on a, on a warship like that. And an amphibious ship just wasn't my idea of fun. So either way, uh, before I went to my second ship, they sent me to a course called Leadership Management Education and Training, and the Navy referred to it as LMET. And I got in the class and I kind of listened, sorta. Uh, I, I had, I had, uh, was already in E4, and then I had made E5, and when I got to that second ship, the, the cruiser, uh, I wound up being the petty officer in charge, the, the, the guy who ran that that whole uh, department, and um, or division, I should say, division department. Anyway, we uh, I uh, completely unexpected. When I got on board, there were other people who had been on the ship longer than me. There were other people who had had more time and rate than me. Uh, but the chief sat down, looked at everybody, and said, "No, I want you to lead." 
and I was ill-prepared. At first, I didn't pay attention to the class I was just in, and so I had to go dig out my book and reread stuff that I that I just thrown away because I didn't think I'd ever use it. And uh, pretty quickly, I realized that I was over my head. I mean, really quickly. And uh, it 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 was a wake-up call for me to uh, have this rank, have all these people working for me, have them looking up to me, and then not knowing what the hell to do, how to how to move how to move the agenda forward, um, and uh, you know there were several uh, people that I worked with that sort of helped me understand what it meant to lead and what it meant to to be a person in charge, uh, but I never did really uh, do well at it. I tried. I, I mean, I, I gave it I gave it the you know I gave it everything I had. The only thing I could do was do what I did well. Like I could operate the equipment, you know, really, really well, and I could fix it fairly well, and I could kind of manage somewhat. Um, and so I had to kind of lean back on what I knew I could do really, really well, and then start to teach others how to do it. And the more I did that, the the better I got at it, the better they got at it, um, the more responsibilities wound up on my shoulders and uh, within a, about a year I was holding my own and I felt like okay I, now I've, I kind of understand you sort of test by fire and and you 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 sort of get it well what LMET taught was a way of, of instilling in your underlings the the desire to want to do better versus I'm going to order you to do it and having rank in the military is easy because I, if I, if I'm an E6 and you're an E5, and I say do it, you got to do it. That's the that's the nature of the beast. But the trick is to be an E6 and talk to an E5 and give them an order, and they don't even know they've received the order. They just do it anyway, and they and never really having to quote unquote pull that rank. Now that's the way it was in the mil, in the in the Navy. I'm sure in other other branches is a little bit different. But when you're out to sea and you're on a warship and you're in with other folks that you're, you know, these people are going to be the people that are going to save your life if things go south. Um, they're the people who are on watch when you're sleeping. Uh, and as I've said this to a lot of people, if you don't like somebody, the furthest you can get away from them when you're out to sea is as far as the bow is from the fantail. That's it. So you have to learn how to get along with people and you have to learn what it takes to interface and not uh, be terrible at it right so my uh, my my trial by fire was really on on that ship and it it woke me up to a lot of of, uh, of leadership skills that I didn't have and that I knew I needed and I quickly looked around at some of the chiefs and some of the officers I worked with and and had to determine, you know, what skills did they possess that I wanted to have? Uh, what did I want to instill in my in my uh, underlings? And how are we going to how was I was going to make all this happen? And I had one particular individual who was uh, just not just not getting it. And he just he just didn't uh, didn't have what I wanted anyway. And so I shifted his duty uh, so that he was in the same duty section as I was, because uh, when you're out to sea, you're always on duty. Everybody stands watch. But when you're in port, 
you're on the ship I was on, we either had a three-section duty or four-section duty. So every three days, you're going to be on duty every four. So we were on duty every four days, so I put this kid in my uh, watch section, which uh, everybody knew was because he was kind of screwing up and I was going to help uh, see if I could get him in line. And uh, I did all the basic stuff they taught us in LMET, which was to, you know, uh, talk to him and counsel him and then kind of give him the old Navy, hurrah, you should want to do this for God and country and all those things. None of that stuff was working. So finally one day, I uh, I sat around with him in uh, what we call the Electronic Warfare Module, or the EW Module. It's up in combat. It's where we would look at radars from uh, ships and aircraft and missiles and such. And I uh, broke out one of the uh, classified publications, and I, I uh, started going through, uh, at that time it was Soviet radar systems, and explaining to him what these things did, and asked him questions, and realized that he really wasn't getting it because no one had ever taken the time to teach him some of this stuff. So I changed my tactic, and I began to make it a game, like, let's let's quiz each other let's get into this and let let, let me let, you know let me work with you you work with me let's see if we can stump the chomp let's see if we can we can play the game um which i teach now uh, in my uh, when i teach uh, students I, I actually play a game called stump the chomp where we uh try to write questions uh, on the nec and and see who can answer it quickest kind of a thing and that's that's what we did in the military between ships and that's what i did with this kid we started working on it together, and um, I could see that that the the competition kind of lit a fire under him. But when I explained to him why we did what we did and how we did it, and how some of these different uh, radars worked, it really kind of like perked him up. And the more I talked about it, and the more I explained the stuff that I knew and why I thought it was interesting, the more he found it interesting. So. This kid and I worked with each other for several weeks, and um, he started doing this on his own, and he got better and better and better and better at it. And eventually, he wound up uh, getting uh, cleared all the way, uh, way high above my level, and uh, going to a battleship and working on that battleship, and wound up being uh, working in the intelligence fields that I could really never hope to get to. And it, it, the, to watch him go from somebody who I didn't think was going to make it to somebody who almost had a meteoric rise uh, up until he finally left the military, he did his time, and he says, ah, I think I'm done with this. Uh, I was super happy with that. Not egotistically proud, but happy with the fact that, that while this guy was in, he was totally engaged with what he was doing. And that trick of sitting down and talking to him and figuring out what made him tick, what made him work, that was more valuable than any school I'd ever been to. And I tried it again with other, with other technicians. Uh, I had failures. I had successes. Um, I went on to you know, work at several other commands, in and out of leadership roles. Uh, each time I was in a leadership role, I could um, try different techniques and uh, feel what, what worked out best for me. And eventually, when I left the military uh, as an E6, 
I felt like I had a pretty good command on what it took to lead until I got in the civilian world. Then uh, all that just hit the wall. It just hit the wall, okay? Uh, civilians don't, civilian world is not like the military world. And uh, the, the stark difference in what it takes to be out here and lead versus being in the military and leading, um, that, was a, that was a real eye-opener for me. And so uh, I, when I went back to look for what skills I was going to use as a civilian, a lot of the military schools skills I brought over with me and did. Some of them I just kept and uh, uh, because I knew that they would be universal. Um, some of them I had to toss. But uh, what I wound up finding worked the best was not managing and not necessarily leading, but coaching. Coaching wound up being the best term that I ever came up with for running people. And at my last job, I had um, lots of people, like scores of folks. The more I coached, the better I felt uh, they they were being managed. And, and there was a stark difference between the way I wanted to lead people and the way that some of my managers looked at it and said, you know, I, I appreciate what you do, but this is what we're looking for here. And so the, the difference is, is that sometimes a manager will look at a group of people and go, this is all about dollars, cents, metrics, performance characteristics, um, getting the right tools in the right hands at the right time, at the right place to do the right thing. And I'm looking at it from a different perspective going, Everybody on this team has skill sets and needs skill sets. Every single one of them. It's just like coaching basketball, and I don't know anything about basketball, so I can't really talk the sports. Those of you who know me know I don't do the sports balls very well at all, but I'll, I'll try this analogy. If I have a bunch of basketball players out there, I should know what the strengths and weaknesses is of every single player I put on the court at any given time. I should be able to play my strengths and my weaknesses to get those those players experience when they need experience and pull them when I don't want them on the on the court, right? Use bring people in and out as necessary to win the game, but also to get the experience that we're gonna that we're gonna um, need. By doing that, I could I could in effect take people that worked for me and train them up when they needed training, um, handle issues when it, when it popped up and they needed to be handled, get them the equipment and the tools they needed, blah, 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 could do all those things. And I didn't give a rip what the metrics were. And, 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 and that was okay until you look up at your upper managers who are going, hey, we've got all these stats and metrics and things that we want you to do and we want you to hold your people accountable to. And I would look back at them and go, I don't care. That's, I, I'm, that's you, boo. You do you. Let me do me. Okay? If you let me coach, the metrics will show by how well I do my job, by how well I'm training my people, by how well I'm getting them prepared in every eventuality to be better and better at what they do. Now, 
I would love to tell you that 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 maxim worked wonderful, and and that that you know I became the best manager there ever was, and and blah blah blah, and it's all that's all horse manure. Uh, it it became at one point burdensome to me to continue this, to to continue to try to coach and deal with um, expectations from folks above me. So I can't say that I figured it all out. I can't say that, you know, I can't sit here on this podcast and go, oh my God, I have all the answers to management and listen to this and, and you'll be a better person before it. No, nah, it's a bad squeeze, okay? It's just not just the way it works. You have to take different pieces of what you've learned and then you have to apply it in your own psyche and see how that's gonna work for you which is why I'm giving you this lecture tonight or why I'm talking to you about it, I should say today, not tonight, because it's what works for you. It's not a one-shoe-fits-all sort of thing, okay? So how are you gonna collect all this data that you need in order for you to make an informed decision on how you're gonna lead? And please don't think for one second that because you're simply a technician or an electrician or the lowest person on the totem pole, that you're not leading, because you are, okay? You're leading from the time you get up in the morning until the time you go to bed. You're leading all day, every day. If you're not leading, then you're following, which is fine, and some personalities that works out well for, but if you have a perspective of leading and you have a perspective of, of solving problems and moving forward and trying to figure out how to best walk through this world, fix what you've got to fix or install what you've got to install or program what you've got to program and interface with your management and interface with your parts person and interface with your dispatcher and interface with your customer and interface with fellow technicians and interface with an apprentice if you have one. If you don't think that's not leading, you're wrong, because it is, okay? So every one of us, every single one of us in one capacity or another is leading something somewhere. If it's not there, it will be in your own family or with your children or with your nephews or nieces or your dog. So so leadership is something that that is all around you, it's everywhere. And you can choose to make that a part of your psyche or you can choose not to. You can have it let it roll over you. So I'm gonna go back and, and look at a couple of things. I, I pointed out some people in history that I thought their leadership skills would be worth looking at. And I'm just gonna pick on Patton. So General Patton was a, a person who obviously went through West Point, um, was very, very, very good at what he did. He was a very good general. He knew exactly what it took to get the job done, but his skill sets <laughs> could be lacking at times. He got accused of, of uh, you know, slapping soldiers who, who buckled under pressure and, and had shell shock and stuff like that, PTSD, which we now know is absolutely a real thing. And, and there could have been some compassion there where he didn't, he chose not to use it. It was because of those failings that it really kept him from reaching higher ranks. Uh, and, and actually Omar Bradley was promoted over him because of, 
of Patton's inability to really uh, think 360 degrees. He was just single-minded and single-focused. So the positives of Patton were uh, obviously better than the negatives because otherwise he, you wouldn't know who he was. He would be somebody who came and went and, and, and didn't really you know, make a dent. But it, it was pretty clear that, that Patton hadn't developed all the techniques it would take to work in every single situation. But in the situation he was in, he had all the techniques it took to win the game. So even with you, as you were looking at what your leadership style is and how you're moving through your day, you need to take and choose and, and pick the right personas and ideas and even speeches, even, even what comes out of your mouth correctly so that you are, are, are making decisions and moving forward in how you do what you do and leading the way that you should be leading and remembering that, hey, I don't want to really make mistakes. And obviously, you're not going to make a mistake like Patton. I doubt any of you are going to slap your apprentice around. But at the same point in time, there may be a time when you need to say, hey, I need you to be focused here, or blah, blah, blah. I, I'm certainly not saying that, 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 there, uh, that discipline and correction aren't needed because obviously they are. But how you apply that and when you apply that is the key here. Uh, now let's take a look at, at somebody uh, like Stalin. Uh, I've read a bit about Stalin. I'm obviously familiar with some of his uh, works, I guess you would say. Uh, definitely had some leadership qualities and some attributes that were um, very powerful, very dynamic. Um, he didn't get to where he got as general secretary by by uh, by not doing anything. So he knew how to work the system, uh, both both positive and negatively, to get what he wanted. But there were some real negative attributes to the way that he operated. Um, either way, there were parts of what he did and the way that he acted that you can still look at and lay out on a table and go, well, some of these things aren't too bad and some of these things are atrocious. And that should happen with every single famous person that you look at as far as it goes in the realm of leadership, whether it's MacArthur, and once again, I'm going to pick on World War II folks, whether it's FDR, whether it was Hitler, whether it was Eisenhower, whether it was Stalin, uh, Patton, uh, or or. or or even more modern folks like maybe Ronald Reagan or, or Jimmy Carter. You could look at some of their attributes and go, I like this and I don't like that. Because history is here for you to read or watch or listen to and understand, it's imperative that you tap into those and learn and figure out, hey, could I be like MacArthur? Could I be like Patton? Could I be like Hitler? Could I be like Stalin? Well, sure you can. You can be like anybody you want. But you have the perspective when you look back to choose the things that you want from those particular individuals in history and throw away the things you don't want. That brings me to both fame and, and ego. 
we look at very famous people, uh, people who are maybe actors. I know I'm 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 kind of I kind of get googly eyed over actors, and and uh, I'll watch a movie, in IMDb, the actor and the people who are in it, and see you know what else they've done, and and I'm not really looking at how much money they're worth, but but that certainly is not a perspective I would ignore, but it. it in, in our culture, oftentimes we attribute powerful people, wealthy people, with, uh, with like, oh, they've got it all figured out, or, or they know how to lead, or they, know, or they know all these things. They may not know anything. They may have just been lucky. They may have just been skilled in a couple of things and at the right place at the right time did you know, the right actions that, 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 that made them very powerful, very wealthy. And so it's it's kind of easy for us to look at certain people and go, well, hmm, I would like to mimic what they did, and then uh, you do, but then you find out, oh my gosh, there's a bad part of these folks that you didn't realize was there, or you know they fall from glory because of whatever terrible thing you want to come up with, because almost everybody I know who's famous has a dark side. Uh, they're just like you. They're exactly like you. They are no different than you. You have a dark side. You have things that you have done, things that you have thought, people that you knew that you don't want anybody else to know. Okay? It's just it's just that simple. I have those I have those demons in my in my closet just like you have those demons in your closet, just like famous people have those demons in their closets. It's the ego that can make or break somebody. So uh, when I was a, a person of faith a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, ego meant ease God out. That's what that, that term always meant, was when you put yourself above everything else and, and you, you self-promote yourself that, that you are the, you're this, you're the best, or you're the biggest or the best or whatever it is. Uh, I'm here to tell you that in my 57 years of living though, so far, I have not been the best at any one thing. There is always somebody out there who is better than I am. And I get that. Okay? There's somebody who can bicycle better than me. Somebody who could run better than me. Somebody who could think better than me. Somebody who could teach better than me. Somebody who could podcast better than me. Somebody who could do something better than me. Those people always exist. But if I do the best I can do for me and and hit the ball out of the park every time I go up the bat and I look at my performance and go, I can do better here, I can do better there, I can I can manipulate this, I could I could read about this person and see how they did it. I could take all of the good and distill that down and keep trying and then remove the what's the good word I'm looking for? To remove the it's all about me-isms out of it and push that on folks that I'm trying to help. Meaning, as an instructor, if I look at you and I look at you as an equal or if I try to uh, to uh, work with, with my apprentice and I say, you know, you can do this as well as I can. And I want you to know that you can do it as well as I, as I can. Uh, that should not be an ego hit on me because the, the very best 
I can be is making sure that the people who follow me or, or, or I teach or I lead can also do what I can do and that they should view it better than me and it should be okay that they do it better than me. That's what we're striving for here. And that to me is the leadership that I wanna see people have. And you may not find that in, in, in people in history. You may not find that, that people in history wanted somebody uh, below them to be as good as they were or, or as evil as they were. Who the hell knows, right? It, it, it depends on what part of history you look at. So in, in my humble opinion, when I, when I look at, at, when I talk about leadership and I talk about coaching and I talk about managing, those three components of it are all critical. It's all critical. It's all a part of, of how we move uh, in the business world and, and whether we have the right business acumen and the right uh, skill sets when we, if we don't have them when we show up to a job, can we acquire those? Can we still be good at what we do and can we help further the agenda there? Or am I, am I a liability? Am I just fooling myself? Because there's been times I've been in positions where I've, I've looked up and went, this isn't for me. This isn't my cup of tea. Like, I don't like it. And not, not because the, the people around me weren't good people or, or that we didn't see things eye to eye. We usually did. I just had to feel comfortable about it for me. Like I had to feel good in myself that the decisions I was making day after day were the right decisions. And you've got all these competing interests and you have to basically manage these things as you're moving forward. If you can't manage you and you can't lead you, I doubt very seriously you're gonna lead anybody else. And then you also want to make sure you don't fall into a cult of personality. Now, uh, a lot of folks who know me know that, that I have a lot of fun. I, 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 I try to be as jovial as, as I can, and I try to um, keep things lighthearted and not take stuff too, too serious and not take myself too seriously. But there are days that I can't, I'm not successful at that. There, there, there are days when, when I, I feel like I could easily be a cult of personality. Uh, that is a way of that ego kind of getting mm, sort of out of whack, sort of misplaced. So I think that leadership takes some self-checking, some self-criticism, uh, the, the minute I think I have it all figured out and I have it all put together is, is, is just about the time I'm about to trip on my face, right? Because if I'm not striving <laughs> to find the, the chink in my armor, uh, the thing I haven't quite got right, uh, the, then it will, it, will, it, will, it will manifest itself. It'll be there. It'll pop up when you least expect it. In, in, in all my experiences, and uh, for those of you who know me, it's, I've had some pretty horrific things happen in my life. Uh, I, I never wake up in the morning thinking that uh, everything's going to go swimmingly because <laughs> I doubt that it will. But at the end of the night, when I go to lay my head on my, on my pillow, I can look back on my day and go, things went a lot better than they 
than I thought they would, and that's okay. That's okay. How can I get better tomorrow? What can I do to be on my game the next day? And uh, I am uh, stumbled into a book. I'd bought this book uh, on Audible uh, about a year ago, I think. And uh, I started listening to it. And it, there's a former Navy SEAL whose name is uh, David Goggins. And he, uh, I, I didn't really know what to expect with this, with this audio book. And I started listening to it, and it instantaneously hooked me. It was instantaneously this guy hooked me. Uh, his story is real. Uh, his language is real. Um, he really, really impressed me with with uh, with how he was able to convince himself to move forward in situations where many of us would have quit. And many of us would have just said, no, this isn't worth it for me. Not for this guy. This guy's continuing. I'm not even finished with the book yet. And I, I can already tell you, I'm probably going to have to read it again because it, it just, he just hit it right out of the park for me. In, in the, the, the portion of the book I'm at right now, he's about to finish a SEAL training. And I happen to be uh, stationed uh, on the same amphibious base where the, Buds is the basic underwater demolition school. I was not a SEAL. <laughs> we just happened to be on the same base with them, and every once in a while I would see some famous people walk through our command. But we were uh, sandwiched in between Special Warfare and the, and the Buds Barracks, and uh, so I got to see Hell Week uh, from time to time when I'd drive to work and I'd see them all out there, and then I'd come back the next day and uh, there they were again, and then go home and there they were, and then I'd drive back the next day, there they were still. Uh, only less of them. And so uh, because you're on an amphibious base, you sort of pick up some of the some of the things that were happening. And as he was describing his experiences in Hell Week, uh, I could really, really relate because he had to do it. Well, I don't want to give it away, but it's it's worth reading. Uh, I could relate only because I happen to know people who also went through that. I certainly didn't. Um, but by the time these guys turn out, and become SEALs and, and get out and deploy, when you actually meet most of these operators, they're not who you think they are. They're not, I, I, I think of all the SEALs I met, and I've met quite a few of them, I don't know one of them who was an egomaniac. I don't know any, I'm sure they're there, okay? I'm, I'm sure you can prove me wrong here. But the ones that I met, and I met quite a few, and knew quite a few, and operated with them because we carried them on my first boat, um, they were very humble, quiet, reserved, dedicated warriors. And they took their charge very seriously, very seriously. That was probably the most impressive thing, was that I there was no bragging there was no BS artistry. There were just very serious operators who did a very serious game uh, and were unbelievably professional at what they did. And uh, I, I always wondered what it would take to make somebody like that. And having read a couple of books on it and seen what I'd seen, um, this particular book that uh, David wrote is probably uh, 
probably one to put on your bookshelf or, or put on your iPhone or whatever and listen to it. It's pretty doggone good. And, uh, and he talks about his own struggles and how he overcame a lot of these things. And uh, I think it's worth listening to. I really, really do. It will help, possibly help you develop in yourself some of the uh, characteristics that you may need to be the leader in whatever situation you're in. And the this we need leaders. Okay, we really, really do. This is uh, this is probably a time when I think being a leader and being somebody who is confident in what they're doing, is confident in training the next person in what they're doing, is confident in how they handle themselves with a client, how they handle themselves in the field, um, can keep their stuff together. Those kinds of emotional intelligence, um, high levels of emotional intelligence are what we need right now. I really think so. So take that for what it's worth. I may be, um, you know, blowing smoke, but I, I very seriously doubt that. Uh, in, in all my years of teching, and that's been quite a few, and my years of being an electrician, and off and on in management, off and on in, in other roles, uh, the, the one perspective I have when I look back on it all is that experience definitely gave me one perspective on life. But being self-aware and, and being focused on, on what the task was, how to divide that task up and making it easier, and how to instill in others that also are doing that task why this is important. If I had those things at 19 or 20, we would have a different we would have a, a different conversation. I just didn't have them. Uh, I did take martial arts as a uh, for several years as a kid, well, for a long time, and uh, I picked up some things from uh, from martial arts that I did wind up using. And when David talks about this in his book, uh, there were definitely some some components of what he mentioned in there. I remember having and did use. Uh, throughout my life and still have in some in some cases but what I I think I really lacked in all of it was um, the emotional intelligence to be able to uh, correctly correctly oversee where I was at where I wanted other people to be at and to be able to look at some of the managers and people above me and just say no okay this is you're hiring me or you put me in this position to lead my people. Let me lead my people the way I want to lead my people. Let me coach them the way I want to coach them. And you'll get out of it what you need. Your metrics will be met. And, and, and to be able to, to maintain that without getting angry, without getting frustrated, which oftentimes happens with me when I just go, look, I, you know, I can't, I, can't, I can't explain this again, all right? Leave me alone here. Let me do what I got to do. Um, that, if I had had the backbone I have now throughout my life, I think I would have been much more successful at this. And um, 
I'm glad I have it now. I'm glad I have more of it than I had before. Um, but I also know that that there were there were jobs I walked away from that I think I probably would have been much better at had I had I'd really had I really spent some time fixing me, and then figuring out how to apply that uh, both below me and above me correctly. Which is why I'm giving you this podcast today is to kind of motivate you to think about it. Think about where you're at. Now, I'm at the end of my career. You may be in the beginning of your career. So take some advice from an older guy and follow up on that. Spend some time doing it. Uh, when I joined the Navy, I had a, uh, I grew up in a, in a place that was surrounded by Marines. There were Marines everywhere. My old man was a Marine. Everybody around us was Marines or Navy. And uh, uh, when I joined the Navy, there was a guy down the street who was a corpsman. His name was Tom Hummel. I'll never forget this guy. And a Navy corpsman are who, uh, the Marines don't have their own medical facilities. They're a, a branch of the Navy, whether they like it or not. And um, so the Navy handles all their, their, their medical duties. So when a platoon of Marines are out, there's a Navy corpsman dressed just like a Marine, uh, oftentimes in in tow with them. So what people don't realize is that if you're a combat medic in the Marines, you're probably a Navy corpsman. That's what this guy was. So he'd done a couple of tours, and he was pretty he was pretty well versed in in what it was to see combat. When I uh, asked him, when I told him I was going to join the Navy, he looked at me. He says, "I'll give you a word of advice: do everything the best of your ability, and and." Always, always do more. Do more than is expected of you, and you will go really, really far in the military. And for my time when I was in, I did go pretty doggone far. I mean, I, I definitely, I definitely hit the ball out of the out of the park a few times. Wished I had uh, control over other parts of my of my body, like you know, drinking and things like that, which I clearly, you know, shouldn't have been doing. Um, but that is life. We all learn. Now that I'm, you know, years and years older, I can look back and go, gosh, why couldn't I have pieced all that stuff together then? Well, I really didn't have anybody providing a lot of the guidance um, that I, I really needed. I was too immature. You may be too, you may also be too immature. You may be one of those folks who needs that extra help. I know that um, when I teach, I make sure everybody has my phone number. I make sure that uh, people know how they can get a hold of me. Yeah, even though I've taught students for years, I still have uh, folks who have long since turned out every once in a while give me a call because they're stuck on some sort of technical problem. I will almost always get back to them as soon as I can and work through those problems with them. because. It's my way of giving back to the community, and it's my way of, of, of being that person for them that I needed, that I may, I may not have had, that would have been nice to have. So that's my lecture on leadership. I'm, I'm hoping that it, 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 it got in your psyche and, it, and I didn't babble too much on this, but I wanted to make sure I hit all these points so that you could you could kind of distill out of it the parts that you need and that that you can use to advance your career or just advance your personal life because 
every single person you read about, every single person in history, every single person you know, from your parents uh, to coworkers to managers to people below you to the, the person on the street, there's always something that you can pick up from somebody if you open up your mind and let them in, okay? Look at what these folks have done. Look at where they've gone. Take the good and the high points and use them to your advantage. Toss the garbage out. Don't use that, all right? When you look back at, at very famous people, uh, understand that people like FDR or Patton, for example, these folks didn't have those skills like, like Patton didn't have all these skill sets when he dropped when he when he when he walked out of West Point. He wasn't General Patton when he walked out of West Point. He was a second lieutenant. He had to work his way all the way to the top. And in that process is when they forged who General Patton became. And despite his his uh his uh you know technical prowess uh, on the battlefield with especially in the in the world of armor uh, he did have some shortcomings so you know everybody is not as well-rounded as Patton so to speak and you may be a Patton uh, but you may also recognize the fact that um, there's parts about you that we could lift up there's parts about you that we can ignore and parts about you that people want to know and parts about you that no one needs to know. You need to be that person because the only person in this conversation who can change you is you. That's it. No one else is going to change you. You are going to change you. And you are going to make you the better person that you need to be to be successful. And that's what I'm going to leave you with today. Okay? So I hope I uh, hope you enjoy the podcast as um, as as usual. There's an email that you could write us at, which is halfwattpod at gmail.com. That's halfwattpod at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram uh, at at halfwattpod. Uh, we have flyers out. We're big timing in here. All right. So I want you to download and I want you to tell all your goofy electrician friends, including the high voltage full waters that we're here and that they need to download this podcast and need to get it in your ears and get it in their apprentices ears and I need input from you so that we can guide this thing the right direction because you don't want me babbling all the time we want some more direction so give it to me okay tell us tell us what you want on this thing we've done some good interviews we've done some good roundtables I've got an excellent staff here um, but you know what this is for this is for you this is your podcast. Make it yours. Tell us what you want. Tell us what you want to see. Tell us where you want us to go. Uh, tell us who you want to interview. Uh, tell us what technology you want us to talk about. And let's do it. Let's make this your podcast. Thanks for listening to the Half Watt Podcast. We always want to hear from you, and we encourage you to email us at halfwattpod at gmail.com with questions or even your own stories. Funny, crazy, or praiseworthy, we want to hear it all. You can follow us on Instagram at halfwattpod to stay up to date on our feed. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And share us with a friend, the best way to help us grow. The Half Watt Podcast is a production of Now Hear This Studios.